Hello and welcome back to a new series of the Tech Stack podcast. Today I'm excited to say that we're joined by Jack Choros, a blockchain enthusiast, copywriter and marketer, whilst he'll also be touching on his aim to improve inclusivity in the Web3 space. Welcome, Jack. Well, thanks for having me on, Ken. I'm a- I appreciate that. Um, I'm a marketer in the Web3 space, so I I write all kinds of different content. I do copywriting as well, but content marketing is more geared towards building a relationship with your prospect. So if you think about it, you know, you can try to sell your prospect on an idea in your newsletter, but the point of a newsletter is to really educate your prospect and build a relationship with them and expose them to your brand. So uh, I've done copywriting before. I do newsletters, blog posts. I've done ghostwriting for founders who want to express a unique uh, idea or piece of thought leadership. Uh, that's really what I do in the industry. I've been actually doing uh, content marketing for 10 plus years overall, uh, but six years specifically in Web3 and blockchain. Okay, great. Um, I think for me, the first place to start with would be what excites you most about Web3. Obviously, you've written for an array of different companies and and organizations and people. What piece of content has excited you most? I think in Web3, it's just about democratizing everything. Um, You know, we started out in crypto talking about democratizing finance, but uh, money is really just a representation of or a communication of value. So uh, in the olden days, Cam, if we wanted to make a deal, you could trade me my horse for your cow, but it just wasn't practical. We could use sticks and stones to maintain a ledger to, to figure out who owns what and who owes what to whom. When we talk about money and uh, communicating value, what we're really talking about is ownership. And Web3 is all about putting ownership back in the hands of the individual. So uh, money does that in, in one sense because with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, you don't need centralized banks or governments telling you what to do. But in reality, what we've done because of technology is actually give our value to uh, traditional tech platforms like Facebook and Google and YouTube. Uh, the largest platforms in the world, as we've now come to realize, are collecting something much more valuable than money from us. They're collecting our personal data. And so Web3 allows us to be not just the steward of our money, but the steward of our intellectual property and our data. So that's why I think that's I think the most exciting principle or development in Web3. Yes, uh, developers are building projects and uh, venture capitalists are funding funding big ideas, but ultimately it comes back to the principle of the whole innovation is that I should be able to control my money, I should be able to monetize my data, and any intellectual property I create that has value should belong to me. Um, and if I want a third party to be involved, I should be able to benefit from that. Um, so rather than Facebook, for example, giving me a free platform to connect with my friends and Facebook keeping my data, in the future, I'll be able to use a social media platform that allows me to monetize what I do on a social media platform. Mm-hmm. And if you extend that idea out to all facets of our lives, that's how we get things like uh, NFTs and the metaverse and virtual worlds where we can literally control every aspect of our identity and all of the value that we create. When do you think people 
started to realize the importance of owning their own data. It took me a while to understand what was happening, but I, I think one basic thing that I would think of that perhaps was my first trigger is that anytime a, a bank or a major company would have to deal with a hack, you know, like when, when you're talking about losing your social security number, which is literally the centralized version of your identity that governments use, essentially that's the number that ties you to a government system along with your passport, for example, and your other identification. So I think when I first realized it, it is when you see those hacks, you think about how much we trust banks and governments, and yet our data still gets leaked and hacked. I began to wonder, what is the value of data, and why do we get access to big platforms like Facebook without having to pay for them? And it's, uh, you know, there's an old saying in life that nothing is for free, and you start to realize that, oh, this is why I have access to Google for free or access to Facebook for free. Uh, it's because it's, I'm giving away something much more valuable than a $5 monthly subscription fee or whatever it might have been instead. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's how I came to it. Um, and you can just see now, like, social media was nascent when when I was first on Facebook. People thought it was cool, but they didn't really know what it would evolve into. And now that social media platforms and tech companies are directly in our faces all the time and, and evolving towards AI and robotics, you know, th those things require data too. So you start to realize that you can't really get into um, any kind of evolution that helps you as a consumer without giving away something to a bigger company. And of course now the concept of decentralization and the blockchain has the power to change all that. Perfect. I think this, this provides kind of the perfect opportunity for me to sweep in and kind of ask you to distinguish the difference between blockchain technology and Web3 and cryptocurrency. Sure. The blockchain cam is a decentralized database that can host any kind of data. So people talk about, especially like um, not early adopters, but beginners in crypto, they talk about blockchain and crypto as being one and the same thing. But as you and I know, that's not what it is. Uh, a blockchain can host any kind of data. So if you're uh, in logistics and you want to track where shipping containers are going and when they arrive at their destination, you could put that data on the blockchain to make it secure. But of course, logistics data doesn't function well as currency. So a blockchain would be a decentralized database. And the first use case for blockchain was Bitcoin, which is the uh, first universally recognized cryptocurrency that we all began to use. Yeah, so, so Web3 is, uh, again, uh, since we covered this a little bit earlier, it basically refers to the concept of digital ownership. So cryptocurrency gives you control over your money, but there are so many other valuable things that we create online. Um, and Web3 really takes the focus away from the user being the product, because when you use Google and Google services businesses by showing you advertising the product is really you it's not the search engine you're being sold to uh, other companies so if I run a small window cleaning business um, and Cam needs his window cleaned that means uh, you know I'm the beneficiary 
as the window cleaner of showing you an ad, and Cam is really just the product uh, being sold by Google to me. Um, and Google just becomes the intermediary making all the money. So the, the difference is that um, blockchain enables us to cut out the intermediary when it comes to currency and finance, but now Web3 takes that to the next level and tries to cut the intermediary out of every aspect of our lives. So I would say that's the difference uh, between the three. We'll, we'll definitely touch on NFTs later, and I know you've got a, kind of an exciting project in your mind um, that you'd like to pursue. But if we go back a little bit to, um, to cryptocurrencies and the adoption, what is your view on central bank digital currencies and how will their creation impact the future of fiat banks? Great question. I, I think central bank digital currencies, in a philosophical sense, are actually just an admission that we can't avoid this. So I think it's good for traditional decentralized currencies. It's going to leverage the blockchain and make things cheaper and faster, and it'll be easier for governments to track things that they want to track. And the thing about it is the reason they're dangerous is, number one, they're tied to the government. But number two, most people are lazy, and they're going to think that a central bank digital currency is crypto. And mm -hmm. it, it is fundamentally crypto, but it's not decentralized. With central bank digital currencies, you're still trusting the same people that are printing money right now. And one Bitcoin will always be worth one Bitcoin. So I, I hope that in the long run, CBDCs actually get people to adopt more Bitcoin. Um, but I think realistically for a lot of people, they, they might not ever get to that point. I think that's a really safe kind of estimation to make. I think it's, uh, it's always a stepping stone for people to understand more about digital currencies and then hopefully I'd look at the other altcoins and, and major kind of cryptocurrencies that are out there. And something that's touched upon, especially in the UK at the minute, with the Just Stop Oil protests and, um, and other climate activists, is, is one question. Is cryptocurrency or is the blockchain fundamentally sustainable, whether that be in a financial perspective or in an environmental way? Great question. A lot of projects wasting energy on proof of work are not going to be here 20 years from now. Do you think that is the same for Bitcoin, or do you think that's an exception? Although the basic principles of Bitcoin are, will remain the same, because the simplicity and elegance of Bitcoin is what allows it to be the number one cryptocurrency. Like What I always think about when I think about Bitcoin is how the white paper for Bitcoin is only eight pages. You... I've studied so many projects in my career and they come up with these like 40 page documents of all these intricate things they want to do technically and all, all these amazing tokenomics and, and the Bitcoin white paper is so simple. Like it's, I'm not even technically inclined even, even six years into my crypto career. And, and I understand that more than I understand 90% of the garbage that's out there. Mm -hmm. So, so Bitcoin will always negatively impact the environment, um, but for people to look at crypto and think of Bitcoin as this huge toxic waste, like, what about electric vehicles? <laughs> people think that because we're moving from gas vehicles to Teslas, that we're somehow doing better. What they don't understand is when we all have a Tesla or an electric vehicle and we all plug it into an, to a power source, all of that electricity is coming from your local municipality and your government. 
And those centralized figures are still using dirty energy. I do think perhaps, you know, maybe Ethereum or a secondary uh, cryptocurrency becomes the greener option. There are a million ways in which we're destroying the planet. Bitcoin is only one of them. And if we need proof of work to secure the blockchain, but Bitcoin becomes fundam a fundamental utility that the entire globe lives off of, there's not going to be a proof-of-stake option for Bitcoin. Now, I'm not a developer, so maybe there are things we can do to have proof-of-work require less energy. I don't know what we can fundamentally change about that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do think, yes, proof-of-work is bad for the environment. I think we will have proof-of-stake options that are equally large cryptos like Ethereum. Um, but I think the net benefit of currency um, being decentralized will outweigh the environment because, unfortunately, human beings usually pick convenience and uh, f personal freedom over the environment in any facet of life. So why would cr currency be any different? So right now, if you were to hedge your bets and say, right, in one camp we have Ethereum and in another we have Bitcoin, which cryptocurrency or which technology are you backing to succeed over the next 10 years? <sighs> If I have to pick one, I would say Bitcoin, but I think they'll both be okay. This idea that an altcoin is going to be bigger than Bitcoin has to be related to fees and scalability. But I, I think Bitcoin will be number one for a very long time. I actually think that we will be considerably older when, when and if Bitcoin gets flipped. However, I would say that the Web3 ecosystem is so tied to Ethereum that it will always have utility because people aren't buying NFTs with Bitcoin for the most part. People are going to start buying collectibles and avatars that are tied to the blockchain with their credit card as well, which again removes them from Bitcoin because um, Reddit now has more NFT wallets than OpenSea. I did but see they that. didn't tell anybody that they were selling NFTs, um, they call them collectible avatars. So they're basically profile pictures you can use on your Reddit account. Mm -hmm. But they never they never um, framed it as NFTs, but that's what they are. And they also used Polygon to allow people to purchase them without paying any fees. So you didn't need to own Polygon or Ethereum to buy these NFTs. You could have used your credit card. And so that will take some value away from Bitcoin as well. I think Reddit has more than 3 million NFT wallets now, yeah. which is more than the 2.3 million that OpenSea has. Yeah. I, I, did, I did see that. It's actually quite incredible. I think there's um, this stigma that's become attached to the word NFT, um, especially with the, the crash in value. Um, I know uh, large celebrities have invested in it. I know I see Kim Kardashian got fined, I believe, for, for misrepresenting the sale of, of an NFT or something in the cryptocurrency space. And then you have the likes of Gary V, who talk about uh, VFriends and actually the long-term value in that, not being the avatar itself, but being the, the use case for, for these avatars. And actually, what can you do with them? And I think that really brings us nicely onto uh, your project. Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Cam. So yeah, I'm, I, 
I happen to have a physical disability called cerebral palsy, and I it's a brain damage from birth, and it impacts my mobility. And um, you know, in in any industry, but especially in blockchain as well, we're now talking a lot about uh, inclusivity in Web three. So. Um, as a person who's been in crypto for six years now, I've gone to many conferences in Canada and the United States, and I see all these talks about diversity and inclusivity, and I notice that I, I've seen entire panels where every member of the panel is uh, female, and I've seen many panels featuring racial minorities, but I've never seen anybody with a mobility challenge um, on a stage talking about how we also need to be included. So in putting together an NFT project, what I hope to do, I don't have a white paper, I'm not an artist, I don't have the NFTs created or anything, but what I hope to do is encapsulate everything that I think people with disabilities would want for themselves into an NFT project. So. I'll use World of Women as an example. World of Women is a popular NFT project targeting women. And actually, I learned it's the 10th most popular project right now on OpenSea by volume. And and they want to promote advancing women in Web3. Now, as a person with a disability, I would say that we need to advance in every facet of life, not just Web3 and technology. But I want to create an NFT where... Uh, the intellectual property can be used to start businesses. So as an example, if you own a Bored Ape from Bored Ape Yacht Club, you can use your Bored Ape to make money however you want. So Snoop Dogg owns a Bored Ape, and he uh, runs a food um, a business in the food and restaurant industry called Bored Ape Tacos, or Bored Tacos. And just because he owns the Bored Ape, he can use it that way. And I thought, well, what if what if we had a disability-related or an NFT that represents us, but we could use it to, say, help somebody launch, launch a beverage or a restaurant or a clothing line, mm -hmm. and, you know, they would inherently be representing diversity, and we could help them build out social enterprises that ultimately push venture capitalists to invest in us as business people. I'm sure there are many ways I could contribute. I could I could bug my local politicians. I could uh, write letters and do all kinds of things. But I think launching an NFT project, one of the reasons I'm so attracted to it is because it would make the concept of including us cool and it would allow us to financially benefit from building out a brand or having a specific message or mission. We've heard a lot there about your motivations behind creating this NFT. But um, could you just give us an insight into the vision you have for the project itself? Where, where is it exactly targeting? Maybe I could launch a limited co collection where there are only 1,000 NFTs, but I'm selling them to uh, companies. So, like, let's say, for example, that I develop an NFT as a stamp of approval for diversity, and I encourage companies in the space to adopt certain policies or practices. And maybe I say, hey, for for for, I don't know, an arbitrary amount of money, let's say $1,000, Cam, I'll give you and your recruiting firm a badge that establishes that you have been through certain training or practices that make you 
uh, not only aware of disabilities, but more focused on the inclusion of people with disabilities. So you get like a stamp of approval that says you're like a properly certified Web3 company. And so if I could sell 1,000 of these at $1,000, that would be a million dollars, right? And so now you have funding to build version 2 of your project, which might be more of an art project, or the project itself might actually target people with disabilities who want to own NFTs. The issue there is that a lot of people that I would love to influence with NFTs are people that might have severe disabilities and maybe they can't afford to own you know, a two or $3,000 NFT. Mm -hmm. So my, my vision, I think, would be to target companies and charities first, share yeah. a message of building a social enterprise using NFTs as a backbone, mm -hmm. and then get into specifics like having a, an art fund for artists with disabilities or a venture capital fund for um, people with disabilities that want to be self-employed or entrepreneurs, different things that we can use to include ourselves using capital that we raise by ourselves, but all without necessarily giving up equity. I want people with disabilities to have equity mm -hmm. in what they're doing. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Jack. Um, just for the interest of our listeners, um, where is best to find you and any updates of, of stuff that's going on in your world? I'm in the process of launching my own podcast, so I don't have my own, uh, I guess, thought leadership content per se, but I, I run a content marketing agency called Blockstar Media. We're uploading a new website soon, but it's blockstarmedia.io, and um, if you want to reach me personally, it would be jack at blockstarmedia.io, and we offer um, marketing at scale, um, so we serve projects both big and small. I've worked with close to 40 different projects in five years, and I work with a team of people so that we can um, handle your marketing initiatives no matter what your scale is. So if you're just starting out and you need a few blog posts, we can help you with that. If you already have a strong user base and you want to accelerate the growth of your social channels or the adoption of your project, we can help you with that as well.